You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I am with the full entirety of the crew over in Baltimore, Maryland. We have Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Dumar Pete. Howdy. And um, I always forget who's in Newport Ritchie and who's in like um, Safety Harbor. But in Safety Harbor, we have Andrew Larson. Greetings, salutations, one and all. And down in Newport Ritchie, Florida, we He'll have... He'll Trinity. Oh, Trinity. <laughs> it's like... Is Trinity even the official name? Because I feel like that's like the name people call it. It's like it's like uh, it's like Roach, Missouri. You're not no one calls it Roach, Missouri, but like they call it whatever Missouri, Windermere or something. Uh, oh, we got Timothy Miller. Now. Oh, I cannot wait to see everyone. Newport, soon. nowhere. All right. Well, 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 guys, we are we are um, it, less than a week. We're gonna be in uh, Florida together. Uh, the first time all five of us have been in the same room together. Not only will we have a special life podcast, not only will we have the opportunity to to hang out, eat some good food, and enjoy just each other's company, we will be having the very first ever and, Lord willing, annual Practically Pastoring Conference. Boys, are we excited? Yeah. I know. I got on everyone's <laughs> case last week in the recording that we ended up scrapping because everyone was giving the weather report for where they live. Like, are we? Are we? Are we really going to be the podcast that just talks about the weather every every single time? Yeah. I just checked. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday next week. The highs are 79, 80, and eighty. Oh, so bring nice. shorts. Pack, pack your SPF, boys. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. I, I I am stoked because it's been very cold up here. And uh, I'm just excited to not have to wear a jacket. I can wear a jacket for fashion's sake, not, not yes. for functional sake. Yeah, same here. I'm definitely doing the t-shirt with a jacket on top look. That's going to be my go-to during the conference. I'm excited about it. It's pretty cold here. Yeah. Not as cold as you, but. I know. It's all cold. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm no longer going to be promoting the conference because it's kind of too late. If you if you are like a local in Florida and you're listening to this and you want to come, we can maybe su- squeeze you in. But uh, but uh, we have a, a, a bunch of people. We have a, a private Facebook group. We're already chatting, getting to know each other. People making plans before and after the conference. I know my buddy James Sabin. He's um, he's staying with me um, in the, the the house I'm staying in, and uh, he's going golfing. Uh, right before the conference, and he he likes to plan his conferences next to golf courses. They can golf before and afterwards. So uh, so he's pretty excited about that. I'm excited to hang out with all y'all. That we were just talking before the show, the late night options. I don't want to spoil it. If we've actually have spoiled it a couple of times, but there's some really exciting stuff we got planned in the late night options. Um, I heard uh, that uh, Tim's elder referred to this conference as. Pastor's gone wild. <laughs> Is I don't know he, where he got that from. I, I laughed for probably three solid minutes. and I think that should be a new spinoff podcast. It could be. I don't it. get the reference. Could someone explain it to me, please? <laughs> when we get yeah. to Tampa. <laughs> when we get to Tampa. I don't get the reference either. Um, but it's super exciting. Hey, I, I feel like we have to get this out of the way. Super Bowl, did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Were you nostalgic at the halftime show? Quick thoughts about the Super Bowl. Thought it was great. Loved it. I don't know what there was to not enjoy. The, the game was good. The halftime show was great. The commercials were fine and dandy. Really not much to complain. When yeah, is I had, it? I had a group <laughs> next year. I had a group of people over at my house. And uh, like when, you, when you're in a small church and you have a parsonage, you do church things, but at your house because it's the church's house. And that happens rarely for me, but I had like probably – 15-ish people total. Uh, some wild kids running around. It was it was actually my wife and I were sitting there on the couch with everybody there, and we were just like, man, this is the first time in full two years where we've had a group over to our house wow. from the church. Partly because we we stopped, like small group season ended before COVID started. But what was ironic is we bought a like a pretty big sectional 
in like the beginning of March 2020 for the express reason of small group at our house. And then COVID happened and we never used it for small group. And now that couch is like, you know, two years old. And it was, it was just, it was just kind of cool to think about, but yeah, I thought it was a good game. It was good, you know, good play, a little controversy with that face mask, everything you want in a football game. We, uh, we watched the game at uh, where we'll, one of our late night options will be happening next week. So I couldn't help, but uh, just imagine in a few short days, I'll be here with a whole bunch, bunch of wild pastors. So, I mean, so like we won't even you, have a big football game on. It'll be more fun. I think if you, if you could describe this football game, Super Bowl, using like a movie, what movie would it have been? Um, I don't know. It, it, I would consider it kind of like maybe like Doctor Strange. Like it was a good movie, okay. but it wasn't like the best movie. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Doctor Strange, I don't know if you guys saw it. Had it. All the oh elements my gosh, of, I, it had all the elements of, of a really good movie without necessarily being your favorite. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Yeah, like yeah. The, the playoff games leading up to the Super Bowl were better football games as far as excitement than the Super sure, Bowl. Sure, yeah. It was yeah. pretty good though. But it wasn't a blowout, which sometimes the Super Bowl can be, which makes the game very lame. Um, so it was, a, it was a good game. Uh, I was super into the commercials. The doctor, there's a Dr. Strange trailer that yes. I realized if you aren't into Marvel, that movie trailer probably looks like the craziest movie. Like it makes no sense. There's oh, like, baby, so the many, X-Men are back. Did you yeah, see that? There's so oh. many things happening in that. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, also this was the year of crypto commercials. There were so many commercials about cryptocurrency. And I think the best commercial, or at least the most creative commercial, did you guys see the one of the QR code floating around on yeah. the screen, like the old DVDs? Uh, I thought that was so clever. And I know I don't know about you guys. I did it. I, I put my phone up to it to see what it was. I scanned. I did. I scanned. And I bet like – It was by that, far my favorite commercial. It wasn't that was genius course. marketing though. What did it, it go to? It, it's a uh, Coinbase.com. Coin, like, Coinbase. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just a crypto thing. and. I mean, it, it it was smart. It tapped into like nostal- um millennial nostalgia because of the DVD. Also, like there's like the an episode. Show. There's an episode of The Office about that. So no. I thought it was it was brilliant. And then you had the halftime show. I mean, it was you know uh, making millennials and Gen Xers rap for their kids for the first time. Probably it, it was a it was it was an interesting show. Yeah, I was crip walking all over the house. <laughs> yeah it was it was it was it was an interesting halftime show man it was uh it was probably one of the for me personally uh it shows that now gen xers and millennials are in charge like because it's not like the who or something you know like it's not like some old band from like my cousin posted a meme that was like everybody over 50 was like this is the worst ever Everybody under thirty was like, "Who are these guys?" And everybody in between was like, "This is amazing." Yeah, yeah. But did anybody else wonder what Kendrick Lamar was doing out there? Like, how how does he belong in that group? That kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I but. mean, I I think he's in that group. One, um, I think he's in that group because he's like the the flavor of the new generation. I guess you know what I'm saying. I mean, that's my guess. The young buck coming out. The young buck. Also, um, what's his name was on drums. Uh, Anderson Pack, who's a who's like yeah. a more of this generation's music. Bro, I, I love know. that there was live musicians too. I, that was I thought that, that was, was really cool that, that they did that. And that set was amazing. Like yeah. that set was so cool. Yeah. And it really I love that they paid homage to like the place where the Super Bowl was happening. So yeah. I did you know, I watched really, the really halftime cool. show because the musicians and the one thing that occurred to me other than the set was really good is like it really stinks if you were sitting on the other side of that stadium. Because sure. the set only opened up to one. I'm assuming they had yeah, but that. They, no, they kept flipping back and forth, though. They what? did stuff they, from both sides. Yeah. But okay. it, it, either, and I everybody's mean, watching on the Jumbotron. That screen yeah. there is, is so ginormous. Which is a ginormous. circle that shows yeah. outside yeah. and inside. Well, it's you know what? I cool. felt for the first time this year that when they were doing their halftime show, they were specifically thinking, how's this going to look on a camera? Oh, Not necessarily yeah. live. Like, cause some of those shots, they were like zoomed in fast and shot back. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is the camera was just as choreographed, like intentionally as the actual everything else. Where in the past, it didn't seem so intentional. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, here's a, here's a thing I was thinking of when I was watching it, because like we talked about last week, there's so many times you watch the Super Bowl at church for events or whatever, and I watched it. And up until like uh, Fifty Cent's part, like uh, it was clean. Like it, I, they censored themselves. Like they were yeah. rapping 
like the censored version of their songs. And then the only part that made it inappropriate when 50 came on was the women twerking on them, right? Yeah. But like uh, for the most part, and maybe I missed it, like it was one of the cleaner. No, it was great. <laughs> ironically, it was one of the cleaner halftime shows. Like uh, there was no like, uh, Je- uh, was it Janet Jackson and uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, mistakes, which is. That's like twenty years ago. I don't know. That's what all like three guys in my house were like. Hey, remember when that (laughs) thing happened? You're like, yeah, Yeah. we all remember. We're not going to talk about it. It was a church event, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Ironically, I I was at a church event when that happened. As a teenager, me too. I was was (laughs) in youth group. I was a youth group chaperone, and my (laughs) wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, said, "Did that just happen?" Yeah, and you said, "Uh." I, I um, think I think in years since the super everyone who does the Super Bowl is like, all right, guys, how can we make sure that doesn't happen specifically? So, but anyways, we gonna say Jeff. I was just gonna say it's just like when you're doing a church event, either as a youth pastor or now as the as the pastor, and you have people like watching. I could feel my anxiety like at two minutes to go in the second quarter, like oh the halftime show's coming. Who's gonna say something weird? What's gonna happen? And it was pretty great to not have to. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, even if part you said about Fifty Cent, I mean, you know, it's like that's that was pretty tame for what could have happened. Yeah. The part yeah. I can't figure out, and partly because I couldn't hear much when I was with that big group of people, is what in the world? Why was Fifty Cent hanging? Okay. Well, the, he do was you re- not remember the the music video? No. That was, that must be. I was like, this has to be a reference that I am not catching. The music video is him upside down doing sit ups. And then jogging on the treadmill with uh, the, like okay. the mask on, but it the was meme, to show what kind of that a must have been in my was. that must have been in my sheltered days at that but the video memes came out. specifically about that. Like the only Hilarious. memes I've seen were about Fifty Cent. The fact that he was upside down and it's like the blood rushing to his head, waiting for his moment <laughs> to go. It was super funny. And then um, he's a bit bigger because in the actual music video, he's shirtless, and this one he has a tank top on. And there's a meme that's like. Uh, he's no longer fifty cent. He's a full dollar now. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, dude, I sent that to you, and it was like three minutes later, and I was like, oh yeah, God, they're so the fast. The internet never fails, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it was a good week. Uh, we didn't really talk about church, but so far, what, what was good is all of our Super Bowl, Super Bowl parties were seamless, um, and it was a fun time. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we got two clergy cliff notes that we are going to discuss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The first uh, clergy cliff note we're going to discuss is is going to be from Relevant, but this has kind of been like all over. Um, Skillet's John Cooper. Let me pause for a second. Are any of you guys Skillet fans? Did any of you guys like listen to Skillet or anything? I like in my. I, they were like big when I was in youth when I was in youth group, and even when I was in youth group, I wasn't. I thought they were kind of corny, like. They were always the they were the they were the the token heavy Christian band, and for those of us who were into actual heavy Christian music, we just we scoffed and laughed. Kind of rolled our eyes like like, actual Lincoln Park. (laughs) Whenever they went on at Winter Jam, I knew it was time to go get in the pizza line. (laughs) They were kind of, I mean, they were kind of like new metally, but it was also like I don't know, it was just very like um, for me as a worship pastor, they were always the favorite band of that older guy who likes to play electric guitar in the worship band. And he'd yeah. always be like, Hey, let's go to yeah. the skillet show. It's so heavy. And like, and for like, me, it's Bad. also including there. Every mom who's like taking their kids to soccer and wants to be like, kind of like, let's get ready for the game. You know? Sure. Sure. I mean, what's weird is skillet has like mainstream success. Like they oh, go yeah. on like tours with like slipknot or, or Which like is why people who like bands, the heavier, smaller yeah. scene music didn't like them. Yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah, not yeah. allowed to like them. You can't like them right. if you also like, you know, the bands from Tampa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the, t- the headline is Skillet's John Cooper. It's time to declare war against the deconstruction Christian movement. So 
Skillet is on tour with Winter Jam, and there's this clip where he is basically saying it's time to make war to declare against uh, – make war, declare war against the deconstruction Christian movement. And he even says that he doesn't even like the term deconstruction Christian movement because to him, he just considers them apostates because they're just walking away from the faith. Um, and there's a lot of like conversation about this. Specifically, Relevant points out that there seems to be a, a disconnect in – the understanding of what deconstruction means. And um, and so, yeah, a lot of what's considered de- people who are deconstruction or ex-evangelicals don't like him. And uh, it seems to be there's a specific type of crowd that's like, even in this video, there's people cheering him, which I thought was weird for Winter Jam to get so political because Winter Jam tends to be very, fairly vanilla when it comes to uh, political stuff. Am I wrong in thinking that? Like, they seem to I be... think the crowd that probably goes to Winter Jam has very strong opinions in one particular direction. It's fair. I, I I just always felt like, I mean, our buddy KB is on the same tour with him. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I always feel like they're probably pretty moderate in terms of like the what's on what's on stage. Certainly, the audience is probably maybe. But that's that's part of, for me. That's part of the kind of the like I saw the clip, and I was just my first reaction was just like ugh. <laughs> you know, like you're playing to the crowd. You're playing to who you know is going to, you know, cheer you on and oh, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. That that's I kind of my my I want to roll my eyes at this whole thing and be like, oh, my gosh, man. You it know, it does it, give it, me a little bit of a Sean Fruit vibes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is- yeah. It's the same thing. It's like it's it's honestly to take it into the pastoring context. It's the young preacher you know, saying all the quote unquote prophetic and hard things to the church crowd because he knows they're going to like that. And it's, it's like, to me, it comes off as like, I don't buy it. I don't buy that. You're that, you know, like you're being so, he's really saying the things that need to be said, but he's saying it to this group of people who already think the same thing. So who spent $10 to go to a winter jam show. I, I mean, nobody that's deconstructing their faith is going to see Skillet and Winter Jam. It's so true. you're not you're not saying it to anybody that you're trying to act like needs to hear it. And it's also kind of th- this is why why words matter and definitions matter. Yeah. Because if two different people have different definitions of what deconstruction means, he's mad at one thing and they're saying that's not what I'm doing. It's not. Yeah. And. You know, or in this article, they're they're talking about you know, well, what would you call what Martin Luther did? And I don't think any of us would say that Martin Luther was an apostate. So, if we were Catholic, you, we would. It, yes, but but so the the idea that you get to apply your definition right. to somebody else is the it's that's the world that we live in. Where well, no, that's not what that word means to me. Well, that's why words have meaning. Well, maybe I'm if, just if, ignorant, but like when I search deconstruction on TikTok and Instagram and everywhere. It is majority people who are like finding ways to walk away from the faith and talk about how it's just indoctrination. Like I don't ever see it being like deconstructive is trying to me find out theologically where is God sovereign and where is he allowed free will? Like it's always like this is why Christianity is BS and how, you know, so maybe I'm maybe I'm off, but that's pretty much the mainstream understanding of how I receive deconstruction. I think I think the word deconstruction is kind of like the word evangelical, where depending on your presuppositions of what you want that word to mean dictates what that means. Because like when Matt Chandler, which is mentioned in here, when Matt Chandler talked about deconstruction, I think he was talking about it from what you just described, like a position of there are people who are trying to um, – Perhaps find reasons. I don't want. That's. It seems a little uncharitable, but it's. It seems more of like people who are walking away from the faith and trying to create more of a palatable faith that fits their own desires. Which, I, when I think of the word deconstruction, I actually believe I went through a deconstruction when I read books like Jesus and John Wayne or yeah. The Color of Compromise. Like I needed to spend a season deconstructing how me growing up in a very politically white sorry politically right white evangelical uh culture has shaped my faith and kind of deconstruct like okay um maybe this aspect of my theology is clouded by 
the fact that I've only been around people who believe a certain way, but because I've always found the inconsistency in scripture, but I never really uh, wrestled with it. And so I would say like, I, I agree. I'm sure Martin Luther deconstructed his faith in the sense that he, he had to deconstruct what he understood about justification. So I think it depends on how charitable and uncharitable you're going to be with the word and knowing relevant, they're going to be much more charitable in the sense that there's a form of deconstruction where you can detangle racism, politics, the abuses of Christianity from the actual faith, where there's absolutely folks who take deconstruction to mean I'm going to walk away from Christianity and just see Jesus as a, I would, I would say ultimately that's, and I say this in a theological way, not in a political way, it's progressive Christianity, right? It's a devaluing of the miraculous of scripture and devaluing the, um, the commands of scripture to make it something more palatable to you, what you want, which is yeah, essentially what progressive Christianity is. I mean, it's, it's Rhett and Link, right? It's, um, it's Joshua sure. Harris, you know, but like when I hear you talk and I, I've shared some of those sentiments that you did, Frank, to me, I, it's just, that's just working out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Let's work in it out. Like that's not, when I, when I was reading some of those books, I wasn't like, let me go ahead and hold everything up and say, where is this wrong? Instead, I'm holding up everything and saying, what's right? And that's a lot different, you know, in, in the sense of like, I'm, I'm looking to strip something away instead of looking to make something healthier, which it seems to me like you were wanting to make yourself healthier, you know, you're reading these books, but a lot of this modern conversation is like, let me see what I could strip away and, and leave just this thing. I think that um, I think people like this guy, like John Cooper, and there's a lot of like, I think Christians like this, where they're very nervous about any kind of questions about the faith. And so it's like, and I'm, maybe I'm I'm not being generous to John Cooper, but like, one thing I try to tell my people in my church is this, is like, I'm not afraid of your questions because God's not afraid of your questions. And like, I believe Christianity is a reasonable faith. And I believe Christianity is actually a very, very reasonable faith that like, if we put the most scrutiny to what we believe, we will come out with greater faith in Christ. Because if if it's true, then all truth leads to God because God is truth. Je- Jesus is on the way, the truth, the life. So like, I have no fear in questions because even in thomas saying like i i won't believe unless i see the the hands and the side of jesus it's like jesus like all right come touch my hands right like i don't think there's fear in questions i think sometimes we as uh people who are christians are afraid that if people ask too many questions then they'll walk away from it. And I think that actually comes from because they don't necessarily have all the answers to the questions and they would rather live in the ignorance of just letting things be a mystery and actually challenge their presuppositions. I'll say this, the longer I've been in seminary, which has now been a total of like six months. (laughs) So I'm an expert on this is uh, I'm more confident in things that I wasn't necessarily confident about, but there's a lot more mystery even when it comes to like the way Greek is written and the way the Hebrews are like, there's a lot of stuff that's like, we should be comfortable with saying we don't know, but that doesn't make us, that doesn't take away the divinity and the work of Christ. doesn't take away the resurrection of like, like for example, the resurrection of Christ is something that we can have full confidence in. There's so much evidence to that, but like questions about like theophanies, like there's so much mystery over that kind of stuff. Like there's so many details where like, I'm okay with living in the mystery of it because it doesn't change anything. A, a good example of this is someone asked me, you know, um, where do babies go when they die in infancy? And I think I've shared this before in the podcast. That's the one question that terrified me about becoming a pastor because I didn't want to go into a room where a woman would ask me that question. My answer to that question is similar to what actually Martin Luther would say is there's no scripture or verse that tells us where babies go. But I believe it's in the character of God that there's somehow a special grace for infants, and I can rest in that. And if babies are in heaven, great. And if babies are not in heaven, well, God is just, and who am I to judge that? There's a level of mystery there that I'm okay with, where I feel like sometimes we put absolutes on things and demand silence on things for questions that we don't need to. And I think that's where like John Cooper is kind of being overly aggressive on things. Well. Well, you know, one thing about John Cooper, and and full disclosure, like I told you, I 
I'm not a huge skillet fan, but like the time I've heard John Cooper just talk, like he's, I find him to be relatively based. You know what I'm saying? In the sense that like he's grounded in theology. I don't see him coming off as some IFB metal guy, you know, but like, if, if I want to get to the bottom of what he's actually saying here, you know, I was looking around. Hang on. on uh, hang on. Dibs yeah. on the Twitter handle. IFB metal guy. Dibs. That's well actually <laughs> really <laughs> dope. Good. Or that. Yes. <laughs> um, KJV. All, to, all right. Anyways. So I'm looking at other stuff. He's 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 talked in what he said. And he's even said before, you know, woke theology is causing a civil war in the church. You know, so as whether or not you agree with that or not agree with that, to me, it lends credence to what he means by deconstruction. It is what Frank was talking about in that progressive sense. And just because, I mean, he really does love talking about theology, and I have seen some stuff on apologetics. I also wouldn't ascribe to him as someone who would say you shouldn't question it and that you shouldn't own it. I wouldn't put that in his camp. I really think he's just talking about people using deconstruction as a bullet to Christianity and you know someone's out there saying it so I mean I, I'm sorry I'm gonna have to like I'm, I'm gonna start to be on his team a little bit for this one like if if he would have got up there and mumbled some progressive thing it wouldn't have been a relevant article just to be honest but because he got out there and he mumbled something that's just somewhat remotely orthodox and Christian now he is this you know, hyper right guy. And I just don't see it as I've, I've followed his ministry since I was a teenager. Like he's always like stuck on, stuck down the line, you know? So, um, ironically, I just think one thing I will put on here, ironically though, he did deconstruct his own music. I love that. Cause when you remember skillet, when they first came out, they were kind of like delirious. If you remember them, like they were very much very like put a lot of chorus and reverb, you know, some slight dampening in your music, you know, and then they broke their sound all the way down and rebuilt it. And that's where they caught their second win. So ironically, deconstruction is part of their success. So I'll, I'll throw that out there. Dell, I, I somewhat agree with you. I think had John said this on the other side of the spectrum here, relevance, not writing an article. Like the, the the video is not going viral, but because it goes against that, then it becomes this, this, this thing. And, you know, it's almost like, yep, now it's time to cancel skillet too, because they right. said that I'm like, wow. Okay. So then as a, as a communicator, it's like, whoa, okay. So I have to be really, really careful because I could say something that might be taken out of context or might be misconstrued, or maybe I didn't understand the definition too. Uh, but I mean, that's that's the world we live in now right like that's just that's it i think it's interesting too because like uh and i would agree with this relevant does mention at the bottom of the article that he made a lot of good points and i did think he made a lot of good points like a lot of what he said is accurate i just don't know where the war language is like why do we need to go to war you know i I mean off the top of my head i'm thinking jesus said rejoice when others speak all kinds of evil on my because of my name it, there was no, there's no talk of make war against. So that, that's where the language falls apart for me. Like, what is that about? And that seems to be more rooted. Frank, you talked about Jesus and John Wayne, that, that stuff seems to be more rooted in that, like, um, over, overly masculine military stuff that, you know, every men's conference we've been to is like, what's with that? And the whole, like, we're soldiers in war. And like, I just, That's where for me, I guess, you know, I mean, you could say I had to deconstruct through that and figure out why, why do all the guys that are like taking me to men's conferences when I'm a younger man and they're older, why are they so into this? And it doesn't connect with me. Like, I don't, I don't connect with the whole like warrior, you know, like I have to go take the culture back and like defend and I just don't. That doesn't do anything for me. I don't see it when I read the New Testament. And, you know, kind of what you said, Frank, you start reading things outside of your tradition and you realize, gosh, there's a global church here. And like, this is much bigger than myself and language is complicated. It's just not this easy. So that's where when, when, you know, somebody starts standing up on a stage and saying this stuff extemporaneously. And I mean, let's be charitable. Maybe he has a friend that's going through some kind of deconstruction. And he's frustrated because you guys know as pastors, 
when somebody says something like this, there's pain behind it, probably. And I think, you know, unfortunately, when you say it and you're in pain and there's a microphone and like 10,000 people in an arena, all with cell phones, that's going to lead to something like this. But I just think, you know, I, I don't know. I want to be charitable and say maybe this is coming from a place of like being frustrated with what he's seeing. And he is right. Like, you know, we do see depression. We do see anxiety. We do see all this stuff. And there is, I would say, I agree that there is a lot of people who are, you know, I mean, in the same way people used COVID to just stop coming to church, there's probably people who really weren't following Jesus, really weren't disciples. And this isn't out. Say what? Well, yeah, I got to deconstruct. But for the people that really are deconstructing based on, in my experience, the people that I've seen deconstructing, it's almost always from some kind of pain or hurt that they experienced in the church or in their faith, faith community. So then to stand up and say, I'm, we're going to make war on you. Well, that's not going to win anybody back. You know, that's just going to play into that whole church hurt thing that you're kind of railing against. So I just, I feel like he made some good points, but it was kind of a fail for me on the communication level. I Just because you have a microphone doesn't mean that you should talk. And I think like how, how often when you're done preaching, when then your worship leader wants to give that 35 second summation of your worship sermon at the end, man, the you're worst. like, dude, like, yes, yeah, there's, I don't know if you've had the misfortune of, of going to winter jam, but I was a youth pastor for 15 years and uh, there's a preacher there. Skillet's job is to be the metal band with the weird fire and the chick drummer. That is their job <laughs> at, win, at winter jam. Dude, that's so accurate. That's so <laughs> accurate. Like, but no one, if I think Shane Pruitt, right, is the is the the speaker at Winter Jam this year. If he says this, it's it's a non-issue. Right. But when you're interrupting your set to hey, 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 I gotta get this off my chest. Yeah. That, well then sometimes you know, bands sometimes bands do have segues like like Switchfoot, like they're they're gonna segue and Shane and Shane, they set up literally every song they do. You yeah. know, so I mean it and, could and be KB, a part of who they KB, are. And KB definitely preaches a bunch when he says stuff. I will say this, um, to be fair, um deconstruction is very inconsistent in how it's defined amongst people who are deconstructing. And it's I think it's a there's a spectrum of people under under the under the banner of deconstruction who are full-blown like agnostics now or atheists to people who are like, I'm trying to, to see how I can root out racism from my be- beliefs. Right. Like, like there's, there's, a, I think there's a full but the vast spectrum. majority of them just don't want to feel guilty about having sex. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know about vast majority. That's a bold statement, but cause I don't know the let, majority of people. Let me take but, you out of context with that one, Andrew. But I will say that, um, uh, one thing that I have noticed that I think I, I don't remember the context of it, but this past week, that side of Twitter, the the more progressive side or the more deconstructing side or whatever, I don't want to put those two together per se, um, were like kind of having in-house arguments because they were not being generous or gracious to those who aren't deconstructing. They were being very they were doing the same things that perhaps conservatives are doing by making broad brush statements and are being overly critical and almost like. Um, mocking people who are not deconstructing. I can't believe you're doing that thing that I used to do 20 minutes ago. (laughs) And I think that like, um, I think uh, words absolutely do matter. And I think unfortunately, like this is why like, you know, the word evangelical has been hijacked to be something political, not theological. And so I think deconstruction is being hijacked as opposed from being just necessarily a process that I believe might be healthy for every Christian to do to being more of a designation of a type of of theological belief that's more progressive. And I don't think it's fair, but I also don't think that that side of the movement, if you will, if it's considered a movement, is doing themselves favors by having some louder voices who are also jerks about it. I will say, Andrew, I'm totally with you on your assessment. I think the vast majority of people that have come to me and had some kind of problem with something and then left the church is because they just wanted to sleep with who they wanted to sleep with. And they didn't want accountability. That is sure. that is facts. Well, I think a lot of this comes back to accountability. And I think that's yeah. why, you know, I'm going to give you on what you said, Jeff, like Cooper, it sounds like this has come from a place of pain. And as a pastor, I have had people straight up who 
walked away from what I thought was the most yeah, genuine. I've watched slow train wrecks in people's and it, lives and then it like. It infuriates me and I do want to punch something and I do want to rage war against something, you know, because it's like, give me something tangible to hate right here because this something is destroying someone who I care about and love. And this guy has been in the scene long enough. You know, he's had fans who totally oh, walked other, away because of this stuff. Other, other bands he's been on tour with probably. But yes. don't you th- don't you think that like perhaps in the conversation in the, under the banner of deconstruction there's probably folks who you uh, you guys are saying that there's people who just want to sleep with someone or whatever g- get divorced whatever whatever the pet sin is right they'll use the banner of deconstruction as like a veil to excuse themselves to do that but there's also people who are genuinely deconstructing yes who are genuinely trying yes. are, i think this pastor's deconstructing and so i think that like that's why this word is very muddled because if 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 it was purely just people wanting to rebel and sin then i would say john cooper is actually not saying anything wrong right because it's like it's it's a it's a it's an attempt to uh accept sin a, as normative um, under the banner of Christianity, and that and, and is he modern. is right that some of it, some people are apostate. I mean, he's not yeah. wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think I think need to. Yeah, I think I think then I think that those who are quote deconstructing not for the goal of leaving the faith that they need to give that word away to the reprobate because that's the ones who's the, got the loudest voices and they need to have their own word, which I think we already have in Scripture called working out your salvation. You know, to me, That's it's a like, sentence. okay, well, okay. I don't know, <laughs> but you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to use the word that the, so many people are using to leave the faith with, like, if you're working through some serious stuff and through some, you know, prejudices in your own heart, then like, let's just call that what it is. That's sanctification, man. You know, there's your word, you know, it's like, so like br- break me down to build me back up, call me to repent, you know, but like for me to hop on and use the same word that is primarily being used by people to go have sex with their girlfriend. You know, they're like, I don't, I don't think I want to use that word and I don't want my people using it. I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree that uh, I, I don't, I think sometimes words can still be good because they describe what they do. Right. Like I, I actually think evangelical is not a bad word. I think it's been hijacked, but I'm not necessarily comfortable. It's almost like it shows up almost verbatim in the Greek. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Oh, sure. Deconstruction? Just Evangelical. <laughs> so uh, I, it's one of those things where, like, I, I want to be careful with, like, even the phrase, the word deconstruction, it's like, I would say what I went through was a form of deconstruction in, like, the philosophical sense. Um, because Frank, as, it, as the recovering indie fundy, I would say absolutely, which is why yeah. I think deconstruction, I don't think, which is why I started off by saying that words matter, because you don't get to assign your definition to what somebody else, you know, that's why we should have the same definitions for all of them. And I think, and I think this is why when, when we, when we, when we speak in absolutes and, and have no nuance, we do ourselves a disservice. Cause for example, we have people who say like, Hey, let's not talk about race and let's just preach the gospel. But like the Bible talks about race, but if you keep saying don't talk about race and just preach the gospel. You forfeited the opportunity to now have some sort of like uh, ability to be able to talk about race in the biblical sense. I think well, the same way in, in that in, church, in, if a person says, well, I want to talk about race. And now I realize that to talk about race is to let go of the Christianity. I thought I knew that would be to me, a legitimate deconstruction. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, for myself, I'll, I'll just, I'll get it real close to home and give you an example for myself. I've probably been, in a some form of deconstruction over complementarianism for the last couple of years. I'm reading all kinds of authors outside of that. I'm going, oh man, I didn't realize that was that complicated and I didn't understand that. And there are certain churches I could be a part of. Now I'm not, but this is a conversation going on in my denomination and among pastor friends. And so that is deconstruction, but there are certain churches where if you grew up in that church and that is connected to the core of Christianity and you start to say, wait a minute, you could eventually get to the place where you say, well, in order to let go of this particular issue, I have to let go of the whole thing. And I think there's a legitimate form of that where you say, I still want to hang on to the core of the gospel. And there's an illegitimate form of that that says, I really didn't like this church thing altogether. 
And so now I'm just going to pile on here and leave the church over this issue. And I think wow. that's the thing, man, because what you're talking about isn't complete. There are guardrails within your deconstruction. There are well, closed handed that word, that's a That's a, that word, although it's a general word in its etymology, right? Like that word just means to take something apart. It has come to mean a very specific thing within the context of evangelical Christianity. Yeah. When we say deconstruction in this context, we mean leave the faith over some issue in the church. But isn't this the same thing? And we don't, we got to move on to a different topic, but like, it's the same thing with the word woke, like woke five years ago meant like, um, processing what it means to be black and what it means to be a person of color yep. woke, and, fam. and like, and like not allowing yourself to be denigrated by racism. Now woke to conservatives means anything progressive like anything liberal it's like right? a boogeyman it's a boogeyman and so it's like i just it's it sucks that words can get hijacked so easily and it's like i mean i don't know if, if that's just language or if that's all i know is when you ever we as pastors say words be quick to define it and be quick quick to be nuanced because like matt chandler noticed he said deconstruction in a broad sense and got roasted for a week when i actually don't think he meant anything wrong behind it and i think he was trying to be specific about it but uh, he wasn't necessarily as nuanced as he could in that sermon. All right. With that being said, let's go to the next the next clergy cliff note. I tried to find a good article website for this. All I can find is Yahoo Style <laughs> uh, on Yahoo News' website. I guess the style section. The headline is Doctor. Sorry, Dear Brian. Christian pastors' misogynistic tweets spark backlash online. If this article sounds biased, every article online about this topic is going to sound biased. So no way. This is the one that sounds the least biased. So there's this pastor named Brian. He's a pastor in Utah. He uh, he has this uh, tweet he makes. He says, dear ladies, there's no reason whatsoever for you to. Oh, this is like cut off. Uh, oh, there's Scroll no reason down. for you Scroll to post bit, yeah. pictures of yourself in low cut shirts, bikinis, bra and underwear or anything similar ever. Not to show your weight loss journey, not to show your newborn baby, not to document your birth story, your brothers, sincerely your brothers, right? And so um, obviously that's a kind of a provocative statement in our culture. And so there's a lot of women specifically, but a lot of people respond back being critical of him, mocking him, making fun of him, just saying that no one asked him. And um, people who are Christians saying that Accurate. this is, this is uh, inappropriate, that this is, this is weird. Beth Moore even came out that's kind of the, the bigger conversation right now is beth morris said like basically her position is it's not that he's wrong about his view on modesty but that it's really weird that fundamentalist men tend to be very vocal about what women wear publicly they talk about it a lot and beth moore um that's what she said online and and she's getting in debates on twitter about that so i read this what are your thoughts it's it's making the rounds what are your thoughts about it First of all, I think Twitter's tagline should be "Nobody asked you." Tweet. I mean, because that's literally Twitter. Like nobody asks anybody. It's, when you dump it out there on Twitter, you just got to be ready for whatever you get back. And and to his point, I mean, I've been, I have IG, and I've seen people lose weight and post their pictures. I've thought that before. It's like, man, I'm just trying to like. I really wish that she wouldn't do that, you know. So I feel where he's coming from. Um, but what's that one of you said earlier, you know, sometimes you, you're more wise when you choose not to speak, uh, you know, I, I, how many women, I guess this is my thing. How many th th now as someone who, who may have heard about a meme page, putting this out on their stories and got tons of great feedback about it. I know there's a lot of women who check off on this sentiment, right? But I wonder, who is this sentiment for? It seems like it's directed at the young ladies who wouldn't check off on it, right? How many of those women do you think he, quote, converted, you know, to his ideal by wording it this way? That, I think, is a smaller margin. I don't, I mean, I, I know I'm being very uncharitable, but he, I mean, just, he wasn't trying to convert anybody to his side. Exactly. That's the, the point I'm making. That's the point. This. Well, I think... It goes back to what we were saying earlier. He's speaking to people who he knew were already going to agree with this. Yeah, I think this would be like if you want, if if you know your congregation, 
All right, let's make it super practical. If you know your congregation, I know a pastor who ripped this loose in his congregation one time. You know what? His congregation needed to hear it. He was pastorally leaning in on him. It didn't get streamed out to the public. That's a lot different because that's that's in a very specific intentional context. To throw it out there on Twitter, it's like, oh, uh, well, people know who Brian Salve is now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it kind of got his name known. I think there's a short jump from this to the guy preaching about how wives shouldn't gain weight after they get married. I don't think there is many steps between the two. No, I mean, I just, I would put this under the category of foolishness. It's just, I think it's just foolish to say you didn't need to say it. I don't know who, you know, even you're just talking generically to ladies, which ladies like, this I, is just I think dumb. Timmy has four daughters and uh, should talk about it. Well, as yeah. a pastor, I mean, my, my, my wife, my wife has had this conversation with my daughters, one of whom is is now on Pinterest and who's asked similar questions. And I, I do see this as an appropriate conversation in the home w- with your kids. That's a, that's a great conversation to have. But a public place on Twitter, like I don't even know who, like, who are you directing this at? It's it's a weird thing to just go out and and say like that. I not that I disagree. I, again, I have four daughters. But also, there's a time and place for that conversation, and my oldest daughter is about to be 13. She started asking my wife these questions, and I thought it was great that my wife handled it, and, and she actually said something very similar to this guy, but it wasn't on Twitter, and it wasn't a generic tweet to whoever he's trying to get the message across to. It was well, can we, can we talk real quick theologically about what he's saying? He addresses it, dear ladies, right? And then he signs it, your brothers, so if he's going to call himself your brothers, that would int- that would the implication that is he's talking to Christian women, right? But he does not address Christian women. He addresses generic ladies. So this is also going back to I shouldn't what it, what the conversation about how much should I expect someone who's not a believer to possess the morals of a believer? Like you just, I can't impute morality onto somebody. That's something that's got to be birthed out of them through the Holy Spirit. So he's addressing all of them, but he's signing it, your brothers. Theologically, those two things are incompatible. You know what I'm saying? And if he was addressing his sisters in Christ, at least he should have put that. I still don't think this was the right platform to put that on. Yeah, I was, if he, if even if he did address this is to Christian women, I would, my next question would be, well, who are you to address them? All Christian, will you the Pope? You address every Christian woman. <laughs> and I think you know, I like, and, and I, just and the I ones on Twitter. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is like, I don't know. I mean, the conversation about modesty. I, I ever since in student ministry, I, I I have this perception of like, you have to care before the you have to care for the heart before you care about the hemline. Like, you have to make sure that like, um, modesty modesty is an overflow of your heart. Like, women or men who are being immodest, it comes because of a, a, a transition or a transformation that first needs to happen in the heart for them to even care about what they're wearing. But like, also it's like, in general, it's like tw- people post on Twitter as if it's like, here's an absolute statement for all the evangelical church to believe and know. And I am the authority to give. So, so and it's like, which is super evangelical of them to do. <laughs> yeah. You're which, right. Let's, let's be real. Fact. He's, he's writing this from the toilet. We need to realize that whatever is said yes. on Twitter is not is this is not in the halls of a seminary. This right, so is somebody this up, by Andrew. themselves. You know, this is. I mean, he was on Instagram. Church. He was scrolling through his stuff. He saw because some that's what stuff you do the, on. Yeah, that's what you do on the toilet. Some, he saw something in the Explore tab under the health hashtag. He was like, God. What, swipe up, swipe left to get Twitter. That was being very specific. Right? Hey, Siri, this. Well, and some, what's funny is someone mentioned that. Someone said... Oh, really? No, someone said, um, th- who was who affirming him, he's like, brother, this is good. Like, places like Instagram and TikTok are cesspools. There's just a bunch of half-naked women. And that guy got roasted because Instagram and TikTok are just algorithms. They're just giving you what you're already looking at. So the question is, what are you searching? You just outed yourself. And so, so, so ultimately, 
this goes to another question is like, what's my role as a pastor? Is my role to pastor everybody on Twitter or is my role to pastor the people at my church? And so if there's a woman or a guy or someone in my church being immodest in my own congregation, that's a one-on-one conversation I'm going to have with that person. If I'm going through Timothy or First Corinthians or Titus and the passage of modesty gets brought up, well, I'll preach it expositionally and exegetically like the way it should. But like, I just don't know if like, I, I think sometimes we pastors think that we have this like calling to be the pastor to the whole world. And it's like, biblically speaking, we're called to pastor our people. And if there's a woman in the church that's being immodest, talk to her. But like, uh, the, the 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 medium, the place that you're having this conversation at, is not beneficial for any type of these type of messages. Nor is it a place for these type of messages. If that makes you sense. know, I look at well, the reply here. You, you, oh, hold on. I look at all the replies, and just by looking at the Twitter replies, I'm like, it didn't generate the outcome you wanted because people are saying there's no reason whatsoever for you to post your outdated or sexist opinion. Here's the deal. This is we've already said this is not a bad opinion because this is but what did he do? He put himself up as a, a bull a bullseye. Somebody else says you have misogynistic views, right? So all he's done is he's held up Christ in such a way where he has created a negative opinion about him again. You know, which is he, I mean that's the natural default position of the world, but he just did it. If you're going to die on a hill, let it be the hill of the gospel, not moralism, right? But see, I and maybe I'm going to make myself look stupid here, but I don't know that I necessarily even agree with the statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if, so it's okay for a dude to be a bodybuilder, but it's not okay for a lady to be a bodybuilder. It's okay for a dude to be an MMA fighter. It's not okay for a lady to be an MMA fighter. You know, fill in, you know, if However. you're a professional, if you're a professional surfer or if you're a, whatever it is that you are, why does this guy get to determine what is modest for one person versus another person. So I, I I mean, I would say to him, it sounds to me, brother, like you don't need to be on the internet. I mean, this would be like saying there's no reason whatsoever for anyone to ever let alcohol touch your lips. Well, I mean, maybe you should just not drink, but don't, you know, to you're, you're imposing your morality on other people. And I think it's exposing, you know, you, you don't have, first of all, you don't have to be on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. And I am not on Twitter for this express reason because it was a point of failure for me in the past. Sure. And so I haven't been on Twitter for years. I mean, modesty is is a very cultural conversation. Yeah. Because like um uh And he's in and he's in Utah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even uh, even even more shout so. out to our brothers and sisters in Utah, but again, like from someone who has pastored near the beach and fairly affluent communities for most of my career. Yeah. It is a different conversation than when I was pastoring a mostly Christian slash homeschool youth group in Texas. Or take it even a step further. What about our brothers and sisters who are Christians in like Saudi Arabia or like the Middle East where they even have higher levels of modesty yeah. rules culturally? They're going to look at the brothers and sisters in Texas and Utah and be like, you whores. Because yeah. they're showing ankles or whatever, you know what like like modesty is a very um, subjective and a cultural conversation. Subjective is not the right word, but it's a cultural conversation because even biblical modesty has it does involve showing skin, but it also involves jewelry and and the way you braid your hair and stuff like that. So like like and, and also this conversation of modesty is very one sided because. That never talks about what male modesty talks about, right? Like, uh, uh, we, we see yeah, we, if, we, if your yeah. eye offends you, aren't you supposed to pluck it out and not yell at the person that offended you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I also think too there's an there's an interesting aspect of this conversation that is not just about modesty per se. And I think you're right. I mean, and that's part of the you know we go back to the deconstruction thing. I mean, I just started the book of Ruth on Sunday, and I there's like a million things I didn't notice about it. And I'm reading a a couple commentators that are really pointing out the patriarchal kind of overtones of things like you never notice the women in the Bible who are barren longing for a daughter. They long for sons because that's the culture they grew they're in, uh, things like that. So there is a part of this that I would say as a pastor, I, I think there's a part of this and, and this doesn't have to do necessarily with the immodesty thing, 
but he specifically says you shouldn't post pictures of yourself in these clothing things. So let's take the clothing out of the conversation. I do think there's a place for pastors to engage in, you know, why is someone posting pictures of them? Like what is, what's going on in them in their discipleship that's making them want to post pictures of themselves constantly. So I think, but again, I just think it's like Twitter is not the place to address that. The place to address that is in the body of the church in relationship. Um, you know, and, it's just like it's just a swing and a miss for me as far as like how you should address this. I think the most important word said about either of these two topics has been discipleship. And it's ridiculous that it took us 50 minutes for someone for to say real. the word discipleship. But <laughs> both of these issues are discipleship issues. So thank you, Jeff. And I would just say too, as a pastor, like I'm not the sin police. That my calling is not to police other people's sin. My calling, I think a big part of my calling is to demonstrate. You know, watch your leaders and follow after their life. My calling, a huge part of my calling, Andrew, that's hilarious, is to demonstrate what it looks like to be the kind of person who's following Jesus in all parts of my life. So, yes, even as a male, I can demonstrate what a modest life looks like, not maybe in my clothing as much, but in other ways and in my teaching and in all those areas to where I don't need to make some kind of statement like this on Twitter to address something like this, you know, it, I just, I just think it's a, it's a church culture discipleship thing that Twitter is like the absolute worst possible way to address it. Well, if it was a good discussion, um, I think what this tells us is watch what you tweet. <laughs> well, maybe you, don't tweet or maybe don't tweet maybe you know uh, uh Del alluded to this earlier i i uh there's a proverb that i'm going to summarize it. i'm not going to quote it exactly but basically um even those who keep their mouth shut look wise because they're not talking you know what i'm saying but if you do talk you're just going to reveal the fool you are and um my grandpa used to say that he used to say it's better to be thought a fool yeah than to open your mouth and reduce and remove all the doubt yeah that's good that's good <laughs> Um, and I, and again, like, these are all nuanced. Like I, I, I think what you hear from us is that when you hear John Cooper, when you hear Brian, it's like what they're saying is not necessarily not orthodox or inherently wrong, but the context of the conversation and what Andrew just said, it's like a lot of these conversations are meant to be within the confines of a discipleship relationship. And when you remove it from that and you broadcast it into a, a, bigger venue like this, whether it's Twitter or from a stage, um, the lack of new, new nuance and the inability to be able to um, define words and, and explain what you mean, or even use scripture. None of these people use scripture in any of their, of their statements. Like this is where uh, stuff happens, bad stuff happens. And this is why us as pastors, it's like, man, we need to have more robust discipleship programs in our churches where we are actually walking with people, showing them God's word and not just making blanket broad statements. Any other thoughts before we, we um, go? Uh, well, it just made me think of one more thing my grandpa yeah. used to tell me, which is ironically relevant in this both of these conversations. He used to say, and this obviously was long before social media, but he used to tell me, never write anything down that, you, that you're going to regret later. Mm. Oh, the re- grandpa, you were about ahead of your time. Didn't know about Twitter. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what we're excited about for next week. So uh, we're wrapping up the show next week. We're going to be together. Tim is already gone. Whoa, I just, my voice just cracked. But uh, Tim has already uh, uh, left the chat because he has to do some daddy duties. But we are um, excited about the conference next week. What are you guys excited about specifically? I'm going to tell you right now what I'm most excited about as far as being a week out from a conference that I'm helping to facilitate. Yeah. And that is the difference between this feeling and the feeling I had as a youth pastor when I knew that one kid was going to show up and say, but can I still come? Or that mom was going to show up and try to get their kid on the trip last minute. Yeah. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That was the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Registration. Especially for a highly disorganized youth pastor like me. (laughs) <laughs> you just it just threw me into a, a frenzy. So I'm pretty happy about this. Yeah, it's gonna be great. 
Andrew, Dell, what do you got? I'm excited to see all five of us in the same place at the same time for the first We've time ever. We've been close before, but... Yeah. There's twice four of us have been in the same yes. room, but once there was no Dell and once there was no Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The things yeah. I'm most excited for, I can't say. <laughs> yeah, because they can't know yet. They can't know yet. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm very excited about. So and I'm the excited guy making because... the balloon animals. It's gonna be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited because I saw the guest list. And Ooh. I know a few of the people who are going to be there, and I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. But like, uh, even like the conversation that we had today, to be able to have this conversation with other pastors, um, and probably have conversations that some of these guys uh, have never had before with other people in their church, or even had the opportunity to have these conversations with other pastors, it just gets me excited to just share ideas, have a good time with friends. Like all this stuff that practically pastoring is all about. So uh, I'm very, very excited. I'm I'm blown away by the amount of people who are coming. It's way more than I could ever uh, expect. Uh, there was a, there was a time where I thought it was just gonna be the five of us in a room together, and it was just gonna be us hanging out for a week. Um, but that's not the case, and I'm super stoked about that. So, anyways, uh, we are going. The next time you'll hear us, you will be hearing us in a room full of other pastors at the Partly Pastoring Conference. And we are so excited about that. With that being said, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, all that kind of stuff. But I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And Tim has already left. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>